welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, and the Libertarian is Professor Richard Epstein, the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU, and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the last days of Donald Trump. And Richard, um, what a week it's been. So we had this violent mob descend on the Capitol building earlier this week. They've just been whipped into a frenzy by President Trump earlier in the day. President doesn't say anything as this is going on, then belatedly releases a video calling on the violence to stop, but also continuing to insist the election was stolen from him. In addition to which, there are all these chain of command questions. The reports are that it was Vice President Pence who finally gave the orders for the National Guard to be deployed. Uh, just today, on the day that we're recording this, we've got Speaker Pelosi saying she's talked to the head of the Joint Chiefs to ensure that there are safeguards in case the president tries to access the nuclear codes. Uh, Democrats in Congress have been pushing to impeach the president again. There have been suggestions that the 25th Amendment be invoked, although the reports are that Vice President Pence is not inclined to do that. And you even had just this morning the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal calling on the president to resign. So we are 12 days away from this presidency, this president being out of office. And yet this feels like the most volatile moment of his presidency. What's your view on how the president should be handled here? I think the operative verb there is handled. I think at this particular point, nobody believes that he's actually competent to do the job that he was appointed to do. I, I think that he was always a man of, shall we say, very tricky temperament. And I think the constant pounding that he took and the constant pounding that he gave out has finally broken his spirit and his soul. Uh, everything associated with the election, as far as he's concerned, is an unmitigated catastrophe. He cannot forgive. He cannot forget. And so he keeps pushing that forward. Uh, I think what everybody has to do is to handle him with kid gloves because he's explosive. And then you try to put a kind of an iron wall around him so that he does no longer hold the keys of power, whether he chooses to resign or not. He should resign. I think everybody agrees with that. Uh, that means he won't resign because he loves fighting against the rest of the world. And so if you've seen that uh, Mike Pence has taken over some of the reins of power, calling out the National Guard, it should be he who consults, consults with the Joint Chiefs of staff. They should be clearly under orders that nothing that comes from Trump is something that they will obey. There has to be a tacit understanding on the part of everybody in government that there be no prosecution for the direct disobedience with respect to a presidential order. One has to try to quarantine him and live out the days. The alternatives are very unpleasant. The uh, 25th Amendment is not designed for these kinds of circumstances. It's designed for people who are going into surgery and thereby transfer the orderly power uh, to the vice president until they wake up. It's dealing with presidents who have long-term disabilities, so you have at least some degree of freedom in pushing an vendor forward. If you actually look at the text of the 25th Amendment, uh, there are time deadlines of 48 hours in this case or four days in that case, but there's no particular deadline which says how long the president has to respond if the vice president tries to trigger the process uh, that will in fact uh, give him immediate power it says the president shall respond if it turns out it's one day you might make something of it but if it's four or five days it turns out you'll run out the clock before this thing goes 
I think, in effect, that an untested process like that is likely to backfire in some utterly unanticipated way. And so at this particular point, my preference is, since I don't believe he will, although he should resign, is that one just basically try and use a whole set of informal sanctions uh, to keep him under control and then hope that you could count the clock down. Look, we're coming into a weekend. There's another weekend before the next Wednesday. Um, There's so many other things that have to be done with respect to the particular transition. There's a real danger that if you try impeachment, you're going to find somebody like the Democrats going overboard, taking out their resentments, not only to the current incident, but also to everything else. Uh, My own sense is that when he did all of this stuff, he probably was in violation of state as well as in federal laws. It's really difficult to know exactly where these offenses took place, given that everything was on tweets and so forth. But if he was in Mar-a-Lago, Florida law might well apply to the kinds of statements that he started to make. So I would try, with respect to the sanctions, to concentrate them on the post-January 20th period. And in the interim, I think neutralization is probably the appropriate situation. I mean, my views on resignation, as you know, have not changed. I thought he should have resigned in January of 2017 and said so on this show. Um, What's happened is the beating that he has taken in the past four years have mean that a fragile character has become a completely broken one. Let's talk a little bit about what precipitated this whole event, which was the efforts in Congress to challenge the counting of the electoral votes. You had some people, the president included, calling on Vice President Pence in his essentially ceremonial role here to intervene. You had a handful of senators, uh, several of whom peeled off after the riot, objecting, in addition to a big chunk of the Republican caucus in the House, 139 members. And Richard, the arguments you heard from people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz was that this objection was appropriate because this was the only way that Americans could get a hearing on their anxieties about election integrity. How much credence do you give that? And what do you make of the decision to make this the mechanism by which those anxieties could be expressed? I regard this as completely bizarre. Um, I think the process that took place in order to air the grievances with respect to the Electoral College were flawed in many ways. Much of that responsibility lies with respect to Donald Trump. Uh, there is a technical argument that the job of the uh, uh, vice president is to make sure that the ballots or the electoral votes are counted. And one they could do is simply have functionary or you transfer the stuff over. You called it ceremonial. I would call it ministerial. But the other view is you have to know whether these are the right electors, and so therefore you have to make an independent uh, adjustment. There's an interesting parallel with respect to the very innocent camp uh, constitutional provision, which says that the president has the right to receive ambassadors. And so the question comes to rise is, is that just simply mean you present the papers and off you go? Or does the president have the duty to scrutinize the particular credentials when there's a dispute as to who is in charge of a particular government and therefore to decide which revolutionary should be accepted and which one should be rejected? And it turns out that's probably the dominant position today with respect to that issue, even though you could easily easily read it in the opposite direction. But this is a very different context. With the ambassador situation, you have somebody who's just coming in and there's been nobody else who's filtered the issue. Uh, But Trump has tried judicial case and judicial case after one, has lost every single one of them. Uh, uh, He has basically bombarded and abused the Secretary of State and the Governor of the State of Georgia 
my friend Mike Baroni basically says he cost the Republicans the control of the Senate. My guess is he doesn't care. He regards them as traitors uh, so much for the worse for them. But you can't say that this thing has not been heard. You can say that it has been heard badly. But if that's the ground by which you can then upset the final tabulation that takes place, well, no election is going to be safe. And so I think, in effect, that race judicata is the appropriate rule. You've been through this already. And once you've been through it at this particular point, those judgments are final and you cannot go back. The power of the principle of race judicata doesn't depend upon the earlier judgment being right. It depends upon that judgment being wrong. And the ability to open up, rather being final, rather, the ability to open up a judgment is under the narrowest and narrowest of circumstances, which you don't get close to here. So I think, in effect, that Hawley has done everybody an enormous disservice. My guess is that his political career will come to an end over this thing because people just don't think that he's got the kind of judgment you need to aspire to higher office. I think Cruz is playing too much of the lawyer. He's a very good lawyer, but this is too wise. I think Pence is a man of some genuine courage. I think that Mitch McConnell showed his true colors and so forth. They will be excoriated along with everybody else Republican by the likes of Paul Krugman and so forth. But I think we owe them a debt of thanks. And I think, in effect, that Pence did the right thing. I think it is now a final decision. Um, I think Trump should have accepted it a long time ago. But in my view, I mean, you know, a little bit of free association. I think the time at which became very clear that he lost it was during the first debate, where he took the advice of Rudy Giuliani, this arch media expert, and acted like a blithering idiot when he was debating Joe Biden. And I think that probably cost him as much as any single event could ever cost anything, uh, the particular election. And from that time on, I think it was downhill. All the kinds of inhibitions that keep people in line seem to have broken down from him. So you do is you have a naked form of resentment which expresses itself in the ugliest possible manner. I also think his political career should be over, whether through impeachment or whatever, uh, but this is a very sad situation in the life of America. Sad, I think, more than dangerous. Yes, there are perils ahead, but I think we're a long way out of the woods relative to what it was even 48 or 72 hours ago. Richard, I think everyone anticipates at this point that the last shoe to drop with the president will be a final round of pardons. And there is increasing speculation, driven in part by things the president himself has said, that his family members, that his close associates like Rudy Giuliani, and even the president himself, will be the recipients of those pardons. And this is one of the arguments you're hearing in some quarters about impeachment, is you want to get him out before he can do this. Now, we've talked before many times about how broad the pardon power is, more or less plenary, subject to a few constitutional restrictions. So instead of rehashing that, My question for you here is the broader one of, was the constitutional design there a mistake? Should there have been some check? So say two-thirds of the Congress could override a pardon instead of leaving this entirely within the purview of the president? Um, Look, questions of institutional designs are always questions of the greater versus the lesser hazard. So you make a perfectly sensible kind of uh, a judgment in this case, and then it turns out that the fellow whom the president wants to pardon is somebody who had been railroaded by Congress into various kinds of behaviors or punishments that they didn't deserve. Uh, So what you're doing is you're giving a veto power to the very 
three individuals who are responsible for the case for the pardon to begin with. Uh, is that likely to happen? Not very, but it can happen. But how many people would have thought that the pardon power would have been exercised by somebody who's literally at the end of his psychological rope? And so the great question is, do you want questions of institutional design to be tested by extreme cases, knowing that the moment you put in another institutional design, there'll be another extreme case pointing in another direction, which will make you wish you'd done it the other way around. Interestingly enough, the way this had been generally handled is there is an office of pardons. And it turns out that what happens is most of these cases go through that office. And it turns out that that means that the Justice Department has a chance to weigh in with respect to criminal uh, convictions and the like. And then the president makes a basis of his thing on a, on a kind of a written report. So you kind of judicialize the process. But what happens starting with Clinton and going forward, cases like Mark Rich and so forth, there's always been a back door in which the president and can act unilaterally. And nobody has ever seen fit to stop that before. And I don't think that you can stop it now. I I think it might be a sadness that these guys are going to get pardons. But uh, look at it this way. Anybody who gets a pardon with respect to what went on in the White House, if there's some evidence of even remote evidence of criminality, uh, those people are through politically. And suppose somebody says, well, what about Jared Kushner? Should he give him a pardon? Well, I would say the answer would be no, because there's nothing he's done that needs a pardon. But here's where the the mutual escalation leads to trouble. Uh, Trump is going to think to himself, they hate me. They're paranoid. They go after me. This has been vicious. They're going to go after my family. After all, look what Mueller did to Flynn and his son. So I've got to pardon this guy uh, because otherwise the Biden administration is going to take this. I mean, I think actually what Biden should do is to make a general announcement now that he's not interested in criminal sanctions with respect to people after they are out of office, at least at the highest level of government. I think that's a generally wise policy, um, but I think that Biden is not likely to make that kind of statement. I think his party may not let him do it. And so my guess is that Trump, in his own weird ways, I'm fully justified for the broad pardons because I'm protecting people from an unjust criminal system. We are now in a situation where we don't know who made the first fatal mistake, and each side is going to attribute it to the other. And This is the consequence of having four years of mutual acrimony and distrust. And in terms of that, well, I don't think the Democrats can say, well, we always played this right. Uh, They did not try to impeach Trump in early 2017 when I called for his resignation, but they announced and denounced him as being an illegitimate president and all the rest of that stuff. They ran the Russiagate investigation. They abused the Kavanaugh proceedings. They began uh, with the Flynn hearings. They did everything with respect to impeachment. I think there's a lot of dirt on their hands as long as on the Republicans. And so I don't know how you play catch up under these situations. But I think that Gerald Ford had a very strong instinct, which is you want this thing to end as quickly as possible. And you want it to end not only because you want to give respite to the Trump Confederates of one kind or another, but you do not want to have things like this consuming the Justice Department, taking Merrick Garland's um, time out of this stuff and leading to unforeseen acrimonies that we want. So I think, in effect, what we do is we rely on the social sanctions. We don't try to introduce another set of legal sanctions by an ad hoc set of procedures that are easily going to run out of control. Final question, Richard. There were people who were all in on Donald Trump from early on, and then there were a lot of people who were skeptical but said, you know what, he's flawed, but he's also a vessel to do a lot of things we think are in legitimately in the best interest of the country, whether for the economy or the judiciary or national security, and we'd rather put up with that 
than four years of a president, Hillary Clinton. So my question for you, which you can answer from some analytical distance, having been somebody who called for President Trump to resign on January 20th, here, here at the end, how do you grade that cost-benefit analysis? Were the policy wins worth the broader social cost, or would it have been preferable, however distasteful, to have put up with a Hillary Clinton administration but not have gone through the collateral damage? Boy, do I not know how to answer the question about these kinds of intolerable uh, conundrums. I think as follows, if we had not gone through this particular exercise and the president had simply stopped at ranting and raving, I would have said that I much preferred a Pence administration to a uh, Trump administration. I think Trump uh, rather, Pence has proved his worth, I think, in many ways relative to what previously had happened. And Lord knows what the Clinton administration would have been like, because she, too, um, was both a centrist on the one hand and a progressive on the other. And we have no idea which Hillary Clinton would have emerged if she had been president. So I regard that as an imponderable. Let me put it to this way. I'm going to answer the question slightly difficult, differently. If I were asked on January 28th or whatever day it was I called for his resignation, whether I would have voted for Hillary Clinton, I think the answer still would have been no. Then, I don't know what the answer would be now. And if you ask me this question again on January 21st, I I might be prepared to say it. My inclination is that uh, however makeshift they are, the dikes will hold and that Trump is not going to commit further damage. And in fact, I think the real damage is likely to come is that Biden is now going to say every policy that Trump did that I support is now tainted with the fact that he did it. And he could start undoing things either by congressional override, by executive orders, by new legislation, or by administrative initiative. And I mean, his stuff is very much divided. I mean, if you start looking at his nominees, they rank, in my view, from A to F. Um, And that's largely because what he's trying to do is to deal with two sorts of political situations. And so you get a guy for the Labor Department, I think is completely inappropriate. And then you get Ms. Raimondo, the governor of Rhode Island, who I think would be a very powerful secretary of commerce. I mean, we have to see which way this administration is going to go. We don't know. And the truth about the matter was we have no idea, given the similar uncertainties, how everything would have happened if Hillary Clinton had become president of the United States. So uh, I'm not real good on what ifs. I mean, I really do not think this is a good moment for the country or for everybody else. I think, in effect, that what we should concentrate on doing is getting Trump out of control and having an orderly transition. I don't think that this should be an occasion to relive all the many resentments that Democrats have against Trump for actions that took place long before the 2020 campaign. You've been listening to The Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Remember, you can read Richard's column, The Libertarian, at definingideas at hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For Richard Epstein, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, And to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.